Well, Frank, I feel like we're an old married couple who have had a trial separation. You've been gone (laughs) for a couple of episodes now, and I, for one, am thrilled to have you back. Well, thank you. I'm I'm sure our listeners are. Globetrotting, so, you know, it's hard to do a remote from the places I was. Uh, We we thought about Skyping you (laughs) over on the continent. That would have worked. Well, you found Booth One on your podcast dial, your place for the best in the art of lively conversation about the arts and popular culture. Gary Zabinski and Frank Taranjo, your hosts here. In today's episode, we're going to catch up on some business and have a look at a few plays and musicals that we've mm-hmm. seen recently. Yeah. But first, I want our listeners to hear about your European trip, Frank, and any intrigues or shenanigans that you may have gotten up to along the Rhine or the Rhone or whatever river. <laughs> you were up without a paddle? Uh, we pretty much had paddles, and I didn't get in any trouble. I didn't get kicked out of any country. So yeah, you were on good. sort of a semi-luxury trip, weren't you? You didn't bike around Austria. No, and no. no we did go to the Czech Republic, but we started off, we flew to Warsaw, because you can fly direct from Chicago to Warsaw on lot airlines. Chicago is Warsaw Junior. It kind of is, yeah, yeah. And so we spent just spent a day there, and then we took the train down to Krakow, where we spent three days. And it was beautiful. If anyone's not into Krakow. It's just a big, luscious, wonderful city. It used to be the center of Europe, and so it has the largest uh, town square of any city in Europe. But the interesting thing about Warsaw was we were there in 2001. My husband, his family is Polish, so we took his mother there in 2001. Even though she was born here, she had never been there. So we went to Warsaw. And in 2001, they were just coming off the whole communist thing. And the tallest building in town was like about this four or five story, really ugly structure. And everything around town were very ugly cement block communist kind of buildings, except for the town square. Hitler leveled Warsaw. He hated the Poles so much because they fought back. Other countries didn't know what was going on. The Poles did, and they fought back, and he hated them, and he wanted them wiped off the face of the earth. And so he literally leveled all of Warsaw. Well, they rebuilt the city center brick by brick based on 15th century paintings. So Warsaw was this very ugly cement block city, but it had a beautiful town square. In the years since 2001, Warsaw is booming. First of all, they've put new facades on all the horrible cement block buildings. So all the buildings all over the town now are these beautiful-looking European style with facades covering them because they're being restored or redone. Not not just restored, but having a whole new facade put on. And there are massive skyscrapers, which were not there before. In Warsaw. Really beautiful skyscrapers. So... That was probably the biggest surprise of all, is how different Warsaw looked. And all over town, there are restaurants and shops and people sitting out. Really, really a beautiful European city now, whereas before... Had kind of a nice town square, but the rest of it, not so much. Yeah. So you went to Poland. Where else did you go? And then, yeah, then we went to Krakow, and Krakow was untouched. So that's beautiful. Take the train there? Now we did. Well, then we went to a little town called Valbchik, where some of Dan's very far distant relatives are. We spent some time with them, which was nice to see a whole different part of Poland. And then we took the train from there to the Czech Republic, which I completely fell in love with Prague. Every building was just jaw-dropping to look at, and so interesting, and such an 
artistic feel to everything. It was just fantastic. Did you get lost there? Stuart Did you Dybeck try? said, I tried to get lost, but it's kind of hard because yeah. then you come up on the river and you come up on you know, you, the bridge. You and immediately you're like, are oriented where you are. to where you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we went to cool places like there's a Pan American bar where all the waitresses are dressed in Pan American outfits and everything is very flight oriented. And that was, that was kind of fun. I did have porn star martini. Do tell. There. Yeah, it was actually quite tasty, although when I ordered it, the man is like, that is for the ladies. I'm like, well, I want a porn star martini. I'm sorry. Well, look at lady. me. Yeah, I'm not a lady, but I want one. Because it's kind of orange colored, I guess. I don't know. But it was actually it's quite tasty. It's got like tasty. fruit juice or something in it? I should have wrote down what was in it, but it was it was very tasty. A but porn star a porn martini. Star, and evidently, it's, I've seen it in other places. Oh, so it's not just, not just theirs. pertaining it's, to this one bar. It's, it's European it's, rage, I guess. I it's don't know. The, it's the rage. All the rage. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to put the recipe for the that on our website. Marks. I think I do have it on my phone. And then from there, we went to Vienna. And Vienna was all these big, ponderous palaces and stuff, as opposed to the really cute, beautiful little buildings in the Czech Republic, in Prague. We did tour two palaces, one of which was the palace of Maria Theresa, who was the mother of Marie Antoinette. Mm. And she had like something like 11 kids and most of them were daughters, and she married them off to other people in other countries. That's how she solidified power. Went other to France. Royalty yeah. Other royalty in other countries, yeah. sure. So she was really good at that. And then we <laughs> ended up in uh, Budapest. And that's very cosmopolitan. It's very much like New York of all the cities we went to. Really? Um, you know, it's old buildings. We ate at this wonderful restaurant called the Carpatia, which has been, in, the building's been there since like the 1600s, and the restaurant's been there since the 30s, and they have palaces there too, and museums and all that, but those were the four main countries we awesome. went to. And you were gone for a total of two weeks? And two weeks plus, yeah. A few days. A couple of days, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we got, again, on a lot of airlines, you can fly home directly from Budapest to Chicago. So you're kidding, and the the tickets were like nine hundred bucks. Non stop, I mean, it was really amazing. Yeah, non stop. It's a wonderful trip. I totally recommend it. And four different monies. So you had florins, then you had zwatis, then you had euros, and so it was always constantly like which money is what. And so that was a little bit confusing. But because Austria is on the euro, it's a little bit more expensive. The other places are very inexpensive. And I went to get a bottle of wine when we were in Budapest. There was this grocery store. I was picking up a couple things, and somebody said, "Get a bottle of wine. We'll have one." There they have florins. So this was like you know. 16,000 florins or something, which is like six bucks. So I came back and they said, could you get a better bottle? I'm like, this is the most expensive one they had. Most of them were like three bucks. So, <laughs> so you opted for the six dollar so I, I had a splur- Yeah, I mean, but everything was like that. We would go out to dinner and we would have all the fixings and drinks and wine and everything. It'd be $31 a person wow. at like a wonderfully good restaurant. So it was quite inexpensive in those three places. Where, whereas the funny thing about Vienna was it had all these high-end shops. And I was walking with our friend Jeff, who was there, and he said, should we take this street or should we walk through Oak Brook? Because <laughs> the one street had <laughs> Tiffany and Fendi and all the high-end stores, wow. which the other places did not have. They were mostly artsy, craftsy kind of places. So but because of the euro and because of Austria's economy, they were much more expensive. So if you want a cheap vacation, I would recommend the other three. Yeah. Did you try any uh, chocolates in Vienna? 
We Aren't did. They famous we did. for famous for chocolates and coffee. Chocolates and coffee. And I don't drink coffee, but everybody on the trip who did, they were uh, five of us all together. Yeah, raved I, about I appreciate it. you bringing some back for me. Thank you very um, much. Yeah, you're welcome. I just I lost it. It <laughs> fell out of the car window. Oh, it must it must be in customs I somewhere. Think so. Oh, customs. Let me tell you this. <laughs> Um, I don't know if people have traveled recently, but we went through customs coming back, and it took a while to get through. It took two and a half hours for our luggage to come out. Two and a half hours? I don't know what the problem was, but it took a long, long time for the, for the luggage to come out. So, And, of course, you're exhausted because you've been flying for, like, you know, 12 right, hours right. or whatever. That's crazy. I know. I know. I'm, I'll go get it. And you, you can't know, just, just, just carry your luggage on when you're going for two weeks to Europe. No, no. <laughs> I, you can't. You don't. You probably should. One of the reasons we stayed in Airbnbs was that we could then do laundry. It was, you know, in Poland we were in hotels, and then Prague, Airbnb, and then Vienna, hotel and then back to an airbnb well it sounds like you had a wonderful trip frank i'm glad to have you back hey did you visit any places that our friend Stuart dieback recommended in prague i did a lot of the walks that he recommended i walked along the river and then he suggested that we not eat in all czech restaurants you'll gain nine million pounds and so we did one night we we ate in some so and i i did have hungarian goulash by the way in hungary so i can cross that off my bucket list. It wasn't really on my bucket list, but I put it on and then I crossed it off. Why not? Um, yeah, why not? But we did have the dumplings and that kind of stuff when we were in the Czech Republic, but we did eat at an Asian restaurant and at the Italian restaurant that he had talked about. Really? How was the Asian restaurant? It was good. Oh. Seemed authentic? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a, I think it was Thai, and it was a Thai family who owned it. And so the son like waited on us, and his mother was back there cooking. Prague just was so homey and so sweet and so beautiful to look at that it was amazing and a lot of the buildings have like naked people on them <laughs> that was kind of interesting statuary like real naked oh i see well there may be Statues. naked people inside but but statuary that's built into the building like naked women like holding up the building with their head and stuff like that or columns hmm. and so i thought you know we need more of that here in Oakbrook. In Oakbrook. Anywhere. <laughs> Anywhere. We have no naked people on our buildings. You've been back about a week now. Yeah. And we have seen a couple of plays, shows around town. Yeah. You and I went to a play called The Roommate uh, at Steppenwolf, Steppenwolf Theater yeah. together. Yeah. It was opening day. We went on a Saturday matinee or something. Yeah. This is a play by Jen Silverman, who uh, our guest Jennifer Engstrom, a couple of episodes mm-hmm. ago, highly touted as one of the new hot playwrights yeah. uh, in, yeah. in, the, in the country. And it was the sure. first thing I had seen by her. I had not seen any of her work before. The Roommate, directed by... Felicia Rashad, the Felicia Rashad of the Cosby Show fame. Mm -hmm. You and I saw this together with Dan, your husband Dan. This play takes place in Iowa, in a small town in Iowa. I I don't think they ever identified what town it takes place. No, they just kind of said Iowa. But it's it's not a giant city. It's not like downtown Des Moines or something like that. No, 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 no. And that's kind of the point. It's definitely rural. Well, when we walked in, the entire stage from wing to wing, front to back, was a kitchen. Yeah. Now, the Steppenwolf stage is not the Opera House stage, but it's not, it's not tiny small. No, either. It's a full-size stage. This was about the biggest kitchen I can remember ever seeing either in life <laughs> or on a stage. Yes, I want that kitchen. <laughs> I think it was a good 20 feet between the stove and the refrigerator there. Yeah, at least. At least. Yeah, yeah. So this play takes place all in this kitchen of this home in Iowa. 
the basic storyline is the woman who owns the house, played by a wonderful actress named Sandra Marquez. Mm-hmm. She is a Steppenwolf ensemble member. And the other actress in the show was Aura Jones, right. also an ensemble member. Mm-hmm. Just a two-hander, just the two of yep. them. Though a number of times I expected a third character to show up. Yeah. I really yeah. wanted that third character to show up. There are phone calls from other people. Sandra Marquez owns the house, and it's never fully explained how she finds this, quote, roommate. She must have put an ad in the paper. Did you ever yeah. get that sense of ooh, no, I think how her... she found someone to come and share the expenses of the house? Yeah, I don't think they said, but I guess her husband has divorced her. She and her husband have split up, and so she decided either for companionship or for a little extra money, she would yeah. get a roommate, and she gets one from the Bronx. Turns out this woman hails from yeah. New York City, and yeah. she's looking to downsize and downsize her life and downsize the speed of life. And she says, why not Iowa? You're right. They don't say whether or not she was in the Bronx and she saw something on Craigslist or whether or not she decided, I need to move to Iowa and then went to the local Piggly Wiggly or something and then saw the thing. Yeah, but it, it doesn't it was, really matter, but they don't say. It was unclear, yeah, but they don't yeah. say. Well, based on the size of the kitchen, if you can use the <laughs> kitchen size as a representative size of the rest of the house, which seems vast. Her settlement from her husband must have been quite extraordinary. Of course, you can get a lot of house in Iowa, in rural Iowa, for the money. I I imagine you can. And she may have gotten a house in the settlement or whatever. Again, they don't say, but... Both Aura Jones and Sandra Marquez were wonderful in the show. Didn't you think? I did. I really, really did. And one of the things that really made me angry this week was I read the Sun-Times review. And uh, one of the fun things about this play is that there are a lot of different twists, and it goes in a number of unexpected directions. Directions. And in the sometimes review, the woman said, Now, I don't want to give any spoilers, but she tells every single one of the twists in she the play. Does. Oh my God. Yes. So it really made me angry. So I, if anybody out there is going to see the play, do not read the sometimes review. Because a lot of times people will glance through a review, see if it's worth seeing or not. And her criticisms of the play could be valid. But the fact that she tells all these plot points, I think, is just unconscionable. I was very angry when I read that. As so. you say, there are a number of plot twists and turns. Mm-hmm. None of them immensely dramatic. No, they just reveals as you go along. You learn a little bit more about the kind of person that each of them are. You know, this woman comes in from the Bronx. She's kind of mysterious. We don't really know what her thing is. We kind of get what the Iowa woman is like. But then there are surprises with each of them, and I enjoyed watching them being unfolded. I would not have liked to have read that review and then gone, oh, yeah, there's this. Oh, yeah, now they're doing that. Oh, yeah, I heard this was coming. Again, the performances by the two actresses were phenomenal. The language of the play is beautiful. written. Jen Silverman is really a hotshot playwright for sure. I can't wait to see her next thing. My problem with the piece as a whole was that I did not feel enough conflict either between these two characters or from outside characters. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of outside characters that get mentioned and they have influence on the play. I just didn't find any real conflict that had me sort of on the edge of my seat. Yes, I agree with you that I was interested in the next reveal. The evolution of Sandra Marquez's character, the woman who owns the house and who gets this roommate, is pretty extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really about her journey through finding this person who is completely unlike her and 
assimilating some of her lifestyle and habits. Well, they affect each other. You have this sort of worldly Bronx woman and you have this isolated Iowa woman and they really kind of learn from each other. I agree with what you're saying. There were times when we thought maybe there was going to be this conflict and I was always relieved when it didn't turn into that because I think the play, to me, was very gentle. And even though there's surprising things that happen, the fact that this really could have been a big conflicting moment wasn't and to me, that was kind of a relief. Usually, really? because well, I think most plays you see that you see whether this oh they're going to be this this huge fight and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And this play didn't do it. This play surprised me by by not going in those directions. And I, I think the reviewers missed that. And you said you missed it. I kind of appreciated it because you had just returned from Europe and you yes. weren't in the mood for conflict. <laughs> yes, I guess I've seen so much conflict in movies and in plays yeah. that I kept thinking, uh-oh, this is not going to go well. And then, oh, it actually worked out. Yeah, I mean, when I'm talking about conflict in a dramatic sense, I don't necessarily mean a fight uh-huh. or gunplay. My sense of the conflict was as these characters develop and evolve and take on a little bit of each other's personalities or traits, Mm -hmm. and then there's a tug of war as to how close they're really going to get, I could have used that expanded a little bit. I could have used that tug of war a little bit stronger. It was almost like a rubber band being pulled and pulled and pulled, except it never snapped for me. True. Never snapped. No, I agree with that. I agree so with that. You, you but en- I didn't mind that. You enjoy a, I enjoy you enjoy that, an yeah. elongated rubber band, and I, I like I the snapping. Yeah, yeah. I also wish that I did not like both of these characters quite so much. <laughs> yeah. I really liked them, not just from the beginning, but throughout. Oh, yeah. And through all the reveals of their trials and tribulations and good traits and bad traits and things that they've done in their lives— I was very attracted to both these mm-hmm. characters. And there's some things that they've done that you probably shouldn't like them. For, well, precisely you so. Thought, you know, but you do. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, well, but I can you see do. why they did that. <laughs> did you happen to hear the person who was behind us and a little bit to our left? unwrapping slowly a candy wrapper during the show. Oh, you didn't. Hmm. I read a guide to theater etiquette the other day that was posted on the internet by Amanda Duarte. Her three big things are sit down, shut up, and clap. (laughs) Now, she doesn't mean that you have to stand for everything, and I rarely stand for shows Uh, unless I'm very, very moved by them and and just transported. But I definitely clap. Mm -hmm. She's noting that sometimes she goes to plays and theater and people just sit there and they don't give their applause. Would you ever consider doing that even if you didn't care for the show? No, I would applaud, yeah, because the actors, even if I hated this show, they still got up there They're and they did it. They're working extremely yeah, hard. Yeah, I know what kind of effort goes into it. I am guilty of giving a standing ovation when it was not earned because every single person in the theater was standing and I would be the only person sitting down. And then you're making a huge statement. When we were at the play A Timeline, which we talked about a few episodes ago, To Catch a Fish, the Brett Nevue play, the young woman right next to me in the middle of the act whipped out her cell phone and was checking her text and then texting back. (laughs) And I leaned over and I said, could you stop that, please? And she said, without pause, stop what? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) What what did she think I was referring to? (laughs) 
I have no idea. I said, texting during the show. Mm. And then she did stop. But oh, wow. <laughs> stop what? <laughs> Our producer loved this story about theater etiquette. Yeah. I didn't quite like the story, and here's why. I thought it was mean-spirited. Mm. I, I agree with all of the things that she's talking about, but mm-hmm. she talks about them in a way that she's never guilty of them. It happens to her all the time. People who do it should be taken out and shot or <laughs> sent to Siberia. She does address the cell phone issue just briefly. Oh, she does. And she says, if I see a light coming from your hands or your lap, I'm going to reach over and take your phone and throw it in the Hudson River. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how she thinks she's going to get to the Hudson, but it's, it's stuff like that. Yeah. Let's talk about another show that we saw. Mm -hmm. We saw this separately. This is the pre-Broadway tryout of a show called The Share Show. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine what that's about? (laughs) Yeah, I wonder. It is a full-blown musical headed for Broadway in in the fall, but they're doing the pre-Broadway run here at the Oriental Theater in Chicago. We went to opening night. Oh, you did? Yeah, and uh, the place was packed. I want to hear what your thoughts were about the show, because we haven't talked about this no, since we you've seen it. Not, no. You saw it about a week ago. I uh, saw, yeah, well, you it saw it opened. on Thursday, and then I saw it on Sunday, so I saw it like you know three days after you saw it. And I also need you to compare it a little bit to Summer, the Donna yeah. Summer musical, because yeah. there's a lot of similarities. There is. For starters, they use three different shares, just like the Donna Summer used three different Donna Summers yes. at three different ages of her life. Young, middle, and old. Young, middle, and old. and Older, um, I should say. Yeah, yeah. The three shares interact a lot more than the three Donna Summers did. The oldest of the share, the, the, the current share, comes over and she's like, okay, girls, come here. Now, what we got to do is, and so they interact as shares, which the Donna Summers didn't do. They just kind of were in part one. I mean, they, they came back and forth in different times, but they didn't really interact a whole lot with each other. Yeah, in the share show, the three of them interact a lot. Virtually yeah. throughout, yeah, even from really. the very beginning. They're all on during most of the show. And they, they have numbers together. Yeah, they do. They have scenes together, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is a little was a little weird. It was a little off-putting for me. I couldn't quite think how Cher feels. That. <laughs> <laughs> she was in town a few days before opening, the weekend before, and she saw, I think, three or four of the performances yeah. and yeah. gave her notes and then, and then went off. Went off. Yeah. What yeah. else did you find? Um, the other be... thing that was different uh, about this show, one of my criticisms, if people remember when I talked about the Donna Summer show, was a lot of it was narrated to the audience. Mm. They took it from her book, and it was only an hour and a half long, and I just felt they should have fleshed out some of those into interactive scenes. The Share Show does do that. The Share's a fault. I guess it was three hours long when it opened. By the time I saw it, like a week or two later, it was down to two and a half hours. A lot of the scenes are fleshed out, and you do get interaction amongst people, so I think they do that a lot better than the Donna Summer Show did. I enjoyed the Share Show a lot. I think the songs are used well. They're not in chronological order. The show isn't really in chronological order. The conceit is that they're doing a TV special on Cher's life. Stage. That's how the play opens. That's how the play opens and so they kind of go back and forth to that and so the various Cher's take on the roles of her with Sonny and her with Greg Allman and all that kind of stuff. The numbers are used well. They're kind of mixed together. There's some real toe tap and stuff going on. The three Cher's are wonderful. All three of them are really, really good. I wasn't as crazy about Stephanie J. Block in the first act, 
But then again, she doesn't do as much. In the second act, she's a complete knockout. I had a great time. I think the star of the show is Sonny, the guy who plays Sonny, I thought was out of this world. The guy who plays Sonny is extraordinary. When they sing, and I no got No matter you, how babe. this show does, he deserves a oh, nomination. Absolutely. When they start singing, I Got You, Babe, he has that nasal, I got you. I mean, the place went nuts. The place went nuts on exactly opening night like as well that. because you didn't know what to expect. Yeah, yeah. Because the other, the three shares, not the other shares, mm-hmm. but the three shares, they sing in the style of share, well, but they don't loud, necessarily. Necessarily, they're not necessarily doing Imperson- an imitation, yeah, no, they a, 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 they impersonation. They are in the style of. Mm-hmm. So when the Sonny character gets introduced, and there's a long book scene about, yeah, about his introduction, yeah. because he's knocking around Hollywood. He's trying to be a music writer, a sometimes singer, not really. And then he meets her. Mostly and he's a songwriter. Yeah, and yeah. there's a long scene where he meets her and they go to the studio and she's singing backup on lots of hit songs yeah. from the 60s. And then finally, it evolves to them getting together and them doing their big hit, I Got You, Babe. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what's going to come out of this guy's mouth. Right. He's talking a little bit like Sonny, but not exactly like Sonny. And then he starts to sing mm-hmm. just like yeah, him. Yeah, oh, it was great. This, was is, great this is really an imitation, but so just well done. Just in the song, done. though, yeah. yeah it's so perfect. well it's done. Perfect. Yeah, the audience, the audience went nuts, as you say. Mm-hmm. So what did you think, then? Did you enjoy it? Well, I... Had a good time. It's hard not to. I'm a big fan of musicals anyway. I did not see the Donna Summer musical, but from what you told me, I was imagining that some of this was similar in its kind of storytelling. Yeah. I did not like the framing device of Mm. them starting with shooting this television special. Okay. And that kind of came and went throughout the show. They'd use it in a transitional way between phases of her life they'd come back to this director walking on stage saying okay cut let's go on to the next scene and the idea was that Cher was kind of making this up as they went along right. and she was telling her life story in the way she wanted to tell her life story I wasn't wild about that framing device okay. I also wasn't crazy about the three shares interacting <laughs> so much yeah it seemed very schizophrenic to me. Okay. <laughs> and I thought, does Cher see herself like this? Does she talk to herself or does she talk to her younger self about the hmm. things they did and the mistakes she made? Do any of us. Do any of us anymore, <laughs> if we can remember that far back. Right. Every time that happened, I was drawn out of the okay. piece a little bit. Right. I loved the Bob Mackie number. Here's a, oh, here's yeah. a little fact. We were in the lobby opening night, getting our tickets, and the lobby was just jam-packed with people. Out of the corner of my eye, I see this very, very tall, statuesque woman in a giant blonde wig, gold lame dress, who's standing next to her, Bob Mackie. Ah. So I went over there and I asked if I could have my picture taken with him. There is a Bob Mackie number in the show where... You meet him, and he's designing for CBS uh-huh. or designing for stars, and they hire him to design costumes for Cher. And all of his great creations come out from yeah. behind these mirrors. Did the audience go crazy at they that did. number they as did. well? They did. It got a number of applause during the middle of the number a couple of times. Yeah. It was great. The costumes are great. And the other costume, I mean, the Bob Mack, the famous ones, was Cher's two Oscar outfits. And she comes out in both of those. Those were great. Big feather hat. And And they were dead on. 
Yeah, they were. They were completely. Well, she didn't get nominated the one year, but she was for a Mask. presenter for Mask. But she was a presenter. And when she came out, she said the line, which is famous, that, as you can see, I got the Academy Handbook on how to dress like a serious actress. <laughs> yes. where she said, feathers and bare yes. midriffs and all kinds of stuff. And then when she won, she was also pretty decked out, but not quite as crazy as, as the year before. Yeah, you mentioned Stephanie J. Block. She's got lots of pedigree, oh, Broadway she pedigree. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's and played two, Alphaba. Uh, Two uh, Tonys, I think. And yes, absolutely. Uh, I'll I'll mention the other two actresses. The woman who played Babe, Michaela Diamond. This is her professional debut. Oh, wow. She She was wonderful. She was wonderful. Yeah. I liked her a great deal. And Teal Wicks, who plays Lady, who's the middle Middle, share. So in general, I I like the Tia Wicks had the best share body. When she comes out in those costumes, you know, with the Bob Mackie costumes from the Sonny and Cher show and the Cher show, the belly button, she had the exact Cher body. Did you think they used the songs as well as they could? I know you mentioned that you like the use of the songs. I think so. I mean, they, you could, think they, they did, could tweak it maybe think if they, they wanted to. But Life After Love a few too many times? Well, they did. But of course, that... Not only was her big hit, it was the biggest hit of 1999, her giant hit. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the one, didn't they do that in the curtain call? No, they did Take Me Home, leading into the curtain call, which is an upbeat kind of dance, disco kind of song. And then I think they went into Believe again Again, afterwards. So maybe they just felt people wanted to hear that as much as possible. I was satisfied with what they did. They could, could they improve it? Of course. The same thing with the whole show. If it goes on Broadway as it is now, I think it would do okay. But they've also got time to, to do a lot more with it if they wanted to. And if Cher is in on it and she seems to approve the kind of stuff they're doing, I have high hopes for it. Donna Summer is selling out. I mean, that show's doing really well, and this is a yeah. much better show. Yeah, and a much bigger star. Yeah, bigger, I think. well, she's still alive. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, and she's, yeah, has a, a, a long, I think she's the only singer who has had a top 10 hit in six decades or something like that. Donna Summer was like in two. That's amazing. So, yeah, so she's a legend. She's iconic, and she's still performing. I had issue with a couple of the song usages okay. in the show. I think the one that really bothered me quite a lot was when she comes home from school and she tells her mother that the kids are making fun of her and her mother says, come over here, darling. And she's sitting in a rocking chair or something. The woman who plays her mother, uh, yeah. is it Gloria Holt? Is uh, that Georgia Holt is Georgia her Georgia Holt, yeah. I stand corrected. Who's Georgia still alive. Holt, who's still alive. And gorgeous. Yeah, the woman who plays her, Emily Skinner, Okay. also uh, Broadway seasoned, pedigree yeah. seasoned actress. She tells her to come over here, darling, and she puts her in her lap, and she sings Half Breed. Yeah, yeah. Which I... Not all of it, but certain lines. Yeah, certain lines, <laughs> as if it's a lullaby. Well, because she's, yeah. I mean, she's a half breed in the sense that she's half yeah. Caucasian and half Armenian or I th- something. I but... thought that was kind of a stretch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in a weird yeah. moment. That wasn't my favorite use of a song, although I'm glad they got Half Breed in. So did you like the usage of the cameras that were on stage there were these handheld cameras like big gopros on steady cam harnesses that these guys would move around and then they'd project Project them on this back screen yeah did you like the use of that in terms of the whole she became a star through television television. yeah absolutely i did like it i did have a friend who thought it was off and she thought it wasn't being filmed live and that it wasn't coordinated properly i didn't really notice that but that could have been 
been true, but there also could have been a slight delay when you're filming something well, live precisely. and projecting on it to a giant screen. So it didn't bother me. But yeah, I kind of liked it. It gave that sort of video vibe to the moments when they used it. I liked it as well, and I think they could use it more. Yeah, yeah. If I they're going to use it, go for it. Yeah. You use a lot of that technique. Mm-hmm. And it would show- be easy to do, yeah, too. They weren't it would just be an showing, easy fix. Yeah, they weren't just showing the video. They were. You actually saw... Cher or Sonny, whoever it was, singing over here, or the Dave Clark Five actually show up in yes. the show. They're singing over here, and then you see the, the cameras filming them, and then over on the other side, you see the projection. So you're not just watching video. You're watching a live performance with video in the background, which is kind of fun. I think they have a lot of work to do on the show. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure that they'll address the, as I said, the framing device. They may keep it and try to make it work better. Uh, maybe work better. To lose it, I think, would that would be an awful lot of work. They would have, they to, would have start, to have a whole other framework. Like, they'd why have they to start from scratch on the framework. Well, what they did in Donna Summer was she was giving a concert as the, the, the oldest of the Donna Summers and then sort of reminiscing as she talked to the audience about different things in her life. So they would have had to go that route if they got rid of this, and I think they want to do something on their own. My only other objection on the show, not really an objection, but something that I, that I observed... Cher comes off as such a nice person. She never does anything wrong. Everybody does things wrong to her. Sonny treats her badly and steals her money. Greg Allman uses drugs and is never around, and so she gets rid of him. And The bagel boy. (laughs) Rob Cabanetti or whatever his name was. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. He decides that he can't stand the publicity and the stardom and being like the second fiddle Mr. to share Mr. Share. Yeah. And so he leaves. Everybody does stuff to her. In fact, there's a line in the play, which is a line also in Jersey Boys. Oh. Why does everybody leave? Oh. Frankly, she kicked two of them out. She I, did. So she did. My observation is that she comes off just a little bit too over nice. There's nothing wrong with Cher. With- but she is diva-y. Remember at the beginning, they're like, Cher, you're supposed to be on stage. She goes, I don't think I like the opening number. That's the I one think, time yeah. when I thought, oh, this has promise. Yeah. This is, um, <laughs> how, how is she going to evolve into this kind of person? Yeah. And, and I never really quite got that from the journey. No, she, she's a little bossy as we go through, but never to the point where you think that she's too much. Well, and it, I guess that's what happens when you have the actual person still alive looking at the show and criticizing it. Uh, it's not called the I Don't Like Cher show. No, right, right. <laughs> and the same thing with Donna Summer. It was based on her autobiography, and her family was involved in the production. I think they have some work to do, but I was entertained. Yes. Oh, it's hard not to be entertained. It really is hard not to Truly. be. Truly. Unless you hate Cher, and then why would you go? Did you read any reviews of the show or um, I did interviews? read an interview of Chris Jones in the Tribune, um, which kind of goes to the point you were just saying. Right. He talked to her when she was in town. Correct. And uh, he said, don't you think there should have been more of some of the trials and tribulations that you'd gone through and some of the difficulties? And her answer was, I wish there was more of that. Well, there's our thumbnail yeah. opinion about and the And by the time show. this is on, it's probably going to be gone from here, but it will be in New York. So if anybody goes, really wants to see it and goes to New York, I suggest you check it out. Yeah, I'll mention that uh, the Share Show is only running here through July 15th. 
that's probably the day that this episode will be published. Correct. So you'll just hear what we thought about the show. And if you want to really see it, you'll have to go to New York and catch it. Yeah. Or if you've already seen it, you can compare your notes to ours. Exactly true. The Roommate, by the way, at Steppenwolf runs through August 5th. Right. So you've got plenty of opportunity this summer to see that. And it's good summer fare. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Just yeah. don't read the Sun-Times review before <laughs> you go. Wait till you get home. Read the Trib, not the Sun-Times. You have a smartphone, obviously. I do. right here. Do you feel you have any sort of addiction to your smartphone? Are you constantly on it? Do you constantly check Facebook or your text messages or Instagram? I or? don't do that so much. But when people say, like, we're all addicted to our phones, when you think about it, your phone is your record player. It's your television set. It's your mail. It's your weather forecast. It is pretty much everything. We used to have 9 million devices and they're all like in one device. So if you're looking at it a lot, you may be looking to find out what the temperature is. You may be checking mail. You may be turning a light on because you dropped something in a theater because you've got a flashlight on there. It's newspaper. I mean, it's all the things that we used to use uh, all in one. So I don't think I'm addicted to it. I had to take Facebook off of my phone. No, you did. <laughs> <laughs> really only because it was making the phone malfunction. I should maybe reinstall it and oh. find out. But to understand it's why Russians. it's so hard to pry yourself away from your phone, and I'm not speaking of you directly, Frank, because it sounds like you've got your addiction under control. I do. <laughs> yeah. You've gone to Cell Phones Anonymous, and you're all, you're all I set. I started Cell Phones Anonymous because <laughs> I have no problem That's with not it. bad. Yeah. To understand that, Facebook account and Twitter account and checking your phone, you need to know a little bit about B.F. Skinner and his pigeons. B.F. Skinner was the behavioral psychologist. In the 1950s, Skinner began putting birds, pigeons, in a box and training them to peck on a piece of plastic whenever they wanted food. Then the Harvard psychology researcher rigged the system so that not every peck would yield a tasty treat. It became random, a reward every three pecks, then every five pecks, then every two pecks. The pigeons went crazy (laughs) and began pecking compulsively for hours on end. Well, fast forward six decades to where we are today, and we've become the pigeons pecking at our iPhones and Androids, scrolling through, as you say, news feeds or swiping left and right on Tinder for hours at a time. Hmm. Again, not you and certainly not me but uh, but i've seen those people do it increasingly rebel developers are using fire to fight fire however and this may be a good thing creating apps that try to put users back into control they call their movement digital wellness and in recent weeks they scored two huge victories when google and apple announced plans to incorporate some aspects of digital wellness apps like allowing users to track their screen time Except then don't you have to go to your phone to track your screen time? True, But it's also like when people go on diets, they say if you write down every single thing that you eat, you're less likely to just sort of eat at random. The system is built against us, said Nick Fitz, a behavioral researcher at Duke University, because the more you use these products like Facebook and Google, the more money they make. It's like playing chess against a billion-dollar company. For every one of us trying to fix the attention economy, they have 20 researchers trying to suck you farther into uh-huh. it. So at least someone's trying to address this addiction by, by creating an app an for app. it. Yeah, really. But you know what? <laughs> I just read something someone had posted about how he had had a phone conversation with someone, and all of a sudden, all these ads for the thing they were talking about showed up on his phone. And if you're at a website, if you're at Amazon, you're looking at cameras, okay, probably you're going to get some camera 
advertisements, but he wasn't on a website. It would be like you and I talking on the phone and you mentioning that you just got a new pair of shoes or something. But it was even more specific than that. And all of a sudden, all these ads for that particular product showed up. That was a little big brothery. I'll say. Mm-hmm. Speaking of ads, if you'd like to support Booth One in bringing you the best in lively conversation about the arts and fascinating guests, you can go to our website at www.booth-1, that's a dash, uh-huh. and one is O-N-E, dot com, and click on the donate button, quick, easy, fully tax deductible under our 501c3 status as a nonprofit entity. Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you a fan of cats? Not Cats, the musical. Pets, the musical. I have never seen Cats, the musical. I know, that's not weird. I just could never get myself to go see it. Shame on you. <laughs> I guess. How about Phantom of the Opera? I saw Phantom. I've seen Phantom about 1,600 times. <laughs> did you I, work it? I worked yeah. the show for yeah, no, four I liked, years. I liked Phantom. I did like Phantom. Well, our Kiss of Death segment this week addresses both those shows, Cats and Phantom of the Opera. Gillian uh, Lynn, a renowned oh, yeah. British ballerina who, after turning to choreography, created the sinuous dances in Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats which eventually became the longest-running musical in London's West End and on Broadway. It's been surpassed since by Phantom of the Opera. Right. Uh, it was nearly four decades after she began dancing at the Royal Ballet that Miss Lynn started to work with Andrew Lloyd Webber and director Trevor Nunn on a musical about a tribe of cats <laughs> that meets every year in a junkyard. Are you familiar with the music of Cats, at least? Oh, yeah. Memory. La, la, da, 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 da. Yeah, I know, oh, yeah, I know that yeah. song. Well, you have a lovely voice. Oh, yeah, right. Based on T.S. Eliot's right. book of poems about cats. Mm-hmm. Without a traditional book, the musical relied heavily on Miss Lynn's dances, since mm-hmm. you had to use the musical numbers. It's almost like a musical review, in a way. There's, oh, really? there's a couple of lines of dialogue here or there, but nothing much. Cats don't speak. <laughs> well, they, they kind of do. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so was, is it pretty much sung straight through? Well, yeah, for the most part, it's it's song after song after song, and you, you get the idea of what's going on. I was a strong dancer, she said, so I created it all on my own body initially, which is why I now have two metal hips and a metal foot. <laughs> She also observed how cats moved, how her own white female, Scarlet for one, undulated. People are of two categories with cats. Well, you're the third category, someone who's never seen it. Clearly, you'd never had an interest in seeing it, because certainly you would have had opportunity, right? Yeah. By the time I started going to Broadway, or thing we've talked about before, I took this class from 1991 on. Cats was kind of an older show. You took a class to New York. I took a class to to New York. To see a bunch of Broadway shows. I did it from 91 to 2014. Every year, like 40 people through the College of DuPage. Yet we wouldn't go see Cats because we would see whatever the new shows were each year. I always thought maybe I'll get around to seeing cats. And then when I had a chance to see it, I'm like, eh, I don't think I want to. Wow. I think people are in two camps other than people who have never seen it. You either love it or you hate it. Yeah. I don't know too many people who are sort of right in the middle. When I first saw it, I loved it. Mm. I had the greatest time at that show. I've seen it a couple of times since in national tours. Well, it opened in the West End in 1981 and ran for 8,949 performances. That's incredible. That is. And Miss Lynn won an Olivier Award for that. Uh, After opening on Broadway in 1992, uh, it won seven Tony Awards. However, Miss Lynn was nominated but did not win. Oh, okay. What Hmm. did win? I don't know. 1982. 
I'm going to have to look two. that up. Could have been Dream Girls. Could have been a, Dream Girls. A quiz for the audience out there. Yeah, <laughs> send us your answers. Yeah. In a statement after her death, Mr. Lloyd Webber said that when Cats was conceived, the idea of a British musical with dance at its heart was unthinkable. Well, frankly, yeah. the idea of a British musical was almost unthinkable right. at that right. point anyway. Completely, yeah. It's not their native art form. Right. It's, Although they've certainly done well They've since done very then. well since. Miss Lynn choreographed many other productions of Cats, but was irate when changes were made to her dances in the Broadway revival in 2016. Oh. Andy Blankenbuehler, who had won a Tony Award for Hamilton, was hired as the new production's choreographer. It makes me feel like I'd like to murder, she told a British theater <laughs> news website. Jillian <Wow. laughs> Barbara Pirk. P-Y-R-K-E. P-Y-R-K-E. Was born in 1926. Her father uh, worked in a family furniture and decorating business that also provided funeral services. (laughs) (laughs) Andy. When she was eight, her hyperactivity, which earned her the nickname... This is hilarious. Wrigglebottom. That's like a name of one of the cats in Cats. Is it really? It's not really, but it it could could very well be. Wrigglebottom, Mr. (laughs) Mistopheles, led her mother to take her to a family doctor. Uh, While he examined Jillian, the doctor put on some music and asked uh, her mother to leave the room with him. Out they went, and the minute they had gone, I started to dance to the music, Ms. Lynn wrote, even going up on his desk. What I hadn't noticed was that his door was one of those beautiful old glass ones with etched designs through which you could see, and the doctor and her mother were watching. And as they observed, the doctor said, there's no trouble with this child. She's a natural dancer. You must take her to dance class. Ah. She had a brief movie career in 1953. In fact, she was in a movie called The Master of Ballantrae, which was set in Scotland starring Errol Flynn. Oh, I've heard of it. In one scene, she performed a dance that she had choreographed. Ah. At 15, she was dancing at the Ballet Guild, a company whose artistic director gave her her new surname, renamed her for the marquee. Oh, that's where the Lynn came from. Jillian Lynn. Ms. Lynn appeared on stage and on television throughout the 1950s, but when she replaced the choreographer of a review called England Our England, a new direction beckoned. She was asked to create ballets for productions of The Owl and the Pussycat and a show, some show called Collages. Well, the theater impresario David Merrick, you're familiar uh, with David uh, yeah, Merrick, yeah. liked collages enough to hire her in 1965 to choreograph the roar of the grease paint, the smell of the crowd. Oh, really? Yeah, the Anthony Newley and Leslie Bercuse musical. Yeah. Not as good as Stop the World, I Want to Get Off, but got some good, stuff. good yeah. tunes yeah, yeah, yeah. in it. Ms. Lynn choreographed two subsequent musicals by Mr. Lloyd Webber, Aspects of Love and The Phantom of the Opera, as we mm-hmm. mentioned, and worked almost continuously until a few years ago. Last month, the new London Theatre where Cats opened in 1981, was renamed for Ms. Lynn. Oh. In an event to mark the occasion, she was carried to the stage on a golden throne oh. surrounded by dancers from the musical. Nice, nice. A fitting tribute. Now, I had the chance to close-up observe Gillian Lynn's choreography on the Phantom of the oh, Opera right. shows yeah. that I worked on. Yeah. I never had the great pleasure of meeting her. Mm. She never came out to the national tours, but I did have the great pleasure of 
seeing her work. Yeah. Jillian Lynn, choreographer of Cats, Phantom of the Opera, is dead at 92. 92. Well, I should say this, just like there are two camps about whether people like or don't like the show Cats, there are also two camps about people who either like or don't like Cats themselves. And I would like to set the record straight saying that I really do like Cats. I think they're very sweet. And I've had Cats. I don't have any now. But I like Cats the animal. Okay. That I've experienced. Don't send us letters, <laughs> listeners. He likes cats. I, do, I mean, like dogs, too. Yeah. But I like the cats themselves. Frank, it's a pleasure to have you back. Thanks. Good conversation today. I appreciate mm-hmm. your insights into The Roommate and especially The Share Show. Mm-hmm. And we'll see how it does on Broadway. Yeah, And we'll yeah. have to revisit it when it opens. We will. Uh, visit www.booth-one.com for prior episodes and more information about our program and your hosts. For Booth One, this is Gary Zabinski. And Frank Taranjo. Saying so long and keep listening. Yeah.